Welcome to the weekly Dharma Talk podcast from the Columbus Karma Teksam Choling Buddhist Meditation Center. This week's Dharma Talk is entitled Cleaning the Silver by Lama Kathy Wesley. Before Losar, Tibetan New Year, it's customary to clean one's shrine to wipe away the negativity of the old year and welcome the new. But sometimes, cleaning the shrine turns into a moment of revelatory self-reflection and a chance for a new beginning. Listen in as Lama Kathy cleans some shrineware, in more ways than one, for the new year. If you like our Dharma Talk series, please consider donating to Columbus Karma Texum Choling at columbusktc.org. Enjoy the podcast. Well, I want to thank all of you again for coming uh, today. Uh, and to, I wanted to talk a little bit today, um, as I did the last time, about um, how Tibetan Buddhism, how we work through our yearly calendar of sacred days and events. Uh, but I'm, uh, uh, I'm going to do something funny today. I, I want you to kind of like... I want to apologize in advance if this is a little strange. But I kind of, you know, it's one of those things where... Yes, sir. Oh, there's an important announcement. Excuse me. Our mothers, our mothers... Birthday, Mama Kathy. For the be- a benefit of all beings, happy birthday to you. Oh, thank you so much. Thank you. Woo. Yes, we yes, please offer one cupcake on the on the shrine. Which, who, which, which Buddha needs the cupcake today, Mama Kathy? I, I'd say. Okay, okay, there we go. All right, very good. Okay, Amitayus, that's a good one. I'll take it. I'll take it. All right. Thank you. As you were. As you, were. <laughs> you guys are the best. I was. Thank you so much. Um, you know, Kempo Kartha Rinpoche, uh, when, he, when we would honor him on his birthday, he was sort of at first nonplussed. You know, he's, <laughs> he's like, okay, that's interesting. Um, uh, but, um, uh, but later he kind of got into it. And so, uh, and so he saw it as an opportunity for people to make an offering to the Buddhas and Bodhisattvas of something really wonderful, which who doesn't love birthday cake, let's face it, right? So um, I wanna thank everybody for thinking about my birthday. Um, As my husband Mike would say, I've never been this old before, so I'm not sure what I'm doing, but it's my hope that, you know, that we will, um, that we'll persevere and um, I won't mess it up too badly. Um, I'd like to begin today, uh, before getting into my topic, I would like, uh, hey, Julian, can I ask you a favor, dear? I'm going to have you put this in front of Tara for me, and um, I'll, get to, I'll get to it later. And, uh, and then I will need a, a copy of the, oh, no, the prayers are here. We're good. Thank you so much. Yeah, uh, yes, that'd be super. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, here we usually start with, uh, with, a, uh, with a prayer. So uh, this morning we'll start with the, um, the, uh, the uh, refuge supplication, uh, which is on this sheet. 
and, uh, and it will be recited uh, two times uh, in uh, English, and then I'll sing it once in Tibetan. In the Buddha, the Dharma, and the assembly most excellent, I take refuge until I reach enlightenment. By the merit of generosity and other good deeds, may I achieve enlightenment for the sake of all beings. In the Buddha, the Dharma, and the assembly most excellent, I take refuge until I reach enlightenment. By the merit of generosity and other good deeds, may I achieve enlightenment for the sake of all beings. I'll recite it now uh, in Tibetan. You can join in if, uh, if you know the words. And uh, if you don't know the words, you can join in in your heart and in your mind, dedicating this to all sentient beings. Okay, thanks very much. I'll uh, say one more little prayer of my own and then we'll begin. Oh, Paul Den Sawelama Rimboche, Dagi Chiwar Pede Den Shula, Kadren Jembo Gonege Sunte, Kusum Tugging a Drip Okay, thanks very much. Um, Oh, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Okay, yeah. So, um, so today, uh, I thought it would be uh, interesting to talk a little bit about getting ready for the new year and what is what is customary, customarily done uh, in uh, Buddhist Tibetan Buddhist households uh, during the period of time running up to the new year. Uh, the the beginning of our Lunar New Year is Tuesday the uh, 21st of February this coming year, this year. And, uh, and so that's just a couple of weeks from now. So at our center here and at uh, Buddhist centers around the world, people are cleaning. It's a frenzy. They're out there, they're, they're dusting everything off that can be dusted. They're uh, wiping down surfaces. They're, you know, making the. They're cleaning the windows. They're cleaning everything, and they are also cleaning all of their shrine vessels, the offering bowls, and everything else. And of course, you know, uh, aside from the practical considerations, it's nice. You know, it's always nice to to keep things clean. Aside from the practical considerations, there's a, there's a, a symbolic spiritual meaning as well. And the symbolic spiritual meaning is that we have an opportunity at the beginning of every time period to make things new again, to make things clear again, to make things new and clear. And so the symbolic meaning of the cleaning that is done before Losar is that it gives us an opportunity to look back at the previous year, 
take stock, get an idea of where we want to go and what we want to leave behind and what we want to take with us as we go into the new year. So uh, first, of, first of all, the cleaning is a custom. It is a human custom to help us remember something that's inside. And this is a really powerful thing in Buddhism because Buddhism teaches that all of us have uh, Buddha nature. All of us have the potential to awaken just as the Buddha, Shakyamuni, the historical Buddha, awakened to the nature of his mind and the nature of everything. So just as the Buddha of the past was able to uncover his Buddha nature and to, through the practices of, of Dharma and spirituality and meditation, he was able to uncover his Buddha nature and then become a teacher and a guide for others. So too, do we have the same potential? And which I think is wonderful because what this means is that all beings have value that they don't have to earn. All beings have intrinsic value and are worthy of respect. All sentient beings are worthy of goodness. And so I love it that Buddhism comes from this place of thinking that people at the beginning and fundamentally have basic goodness. And that over time through misunderstanding, confusion, delusion, we divide the world into friends and enemies and then try to reward the friends and punish the enemies. It gets very difficult, you know, there's a lot of drama and so forth and so on and things get confusing. But from the beginning, Buddhism has taught that we all have the capacity to become Buddhists. So that means everyone has, a, has equal value and everyone uh, has, uh, is worthy of love, care, and respect. So if we don't see that happening in our own psyche, if we are not looking after and respecting ourselves, then it's very hard for us to look after and respect others. So in a way, the cleaning rituals of Losar give us an opportunity to think about and take care of ourselves and to think about and let go of the patterns from the previous year that we no longer find healthy or useful and to aspire to the qualities that we want to achieve. So that's a little bit about what we're going to be uh, talking about today. I have to, uh, I'm going to have to uh, watch my time because I do want to leave uh, space for uh, questions at the end. So I'm going to set a little timer here. Okay, now we're ready to go. Uh, that's because um, uh, I, I thought I'd bring something in, you know. So um, folks like me have very busy minds. Our minds are very busy. Run, 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 do this, do that. Our, people like me, we have busy minds. And as such, um, we don't like tedious things. We don't like to do anything that's tedious, repetitive. Um, and so um, I haven't cleaned my silver yet. Uh, so I hope you'll indulge me. Uh, you know, I've been looking at it for weeks. It's not getting done. So, um, 
you'll, I hope you'll just stay with me for a minute here. Um, it, there's uh, seven offering bowls, so I got there's just a few here. Uh, okay, okay, and I think we're good. Okay, so um, uh, yeah, the plastic inserts—it's a real problem. Okay, but it does keep the silver nice, and so. Um, uh, you know, us, us folks who are kind of doers, we pretend to multitask and think we're being effective when really all we're doing is making mistakes at a faster rate than ever before. Um, you know, it's a, you know, it's a, it's a, mis, it's a misnomer. Kempo Kartha Rinpoche once said, multitasking does not exist. He said, uh, be, this is because, oh yeah, gotta have that. He said, this is because the human mind, he said, is, um, is actually, not capable of doing more than one thing at a time. He says it's completely impossible because we're always here now and now and now and now. It's kind of like those, uh, remember those old neon signs that had arrows that lit up sequentially to make it, to make it look like they're moving? I think science is in, on, the, on the brink of discovering that that is how our world is, how our experience of the world is right now, that it's just one moment after one moment after one moment, which is kind of cool because that means we can always change. The young meditation master, Mingyu Rinpoche, says that, that uh, the Tibetans often talk about, uh, they often talk about rebirth and the bardo between death and rebirth. But he said this rebirth is actually happening for us every moment, which is great because that means at any moment we can make a decision to do something different. We may have a lot of bad habit energy behind the things we habitually do, the things we habitually think, and the things we habitually say. We may have a lot of habit energy behind us, but because now is always happening and we have Buddha nature behind everything, we always have the choice to make a different choice. We always have the capacity to make a different choice and decision in the moment. So um, uh, if, if we can look at a tedious task that people like me tend to not like to do. Um, we, you know, and we break it into smaller pieces. That tedious task uh, can become a window of opportunity to see what's actually happening in our mind. So um, Thich Nhat Hanh, uh, the Vietnamese Zen master, he said that uh, doing the dishes, for example, can be uh, uh, a, an act of meditation. And uh, I, I'm, not, I'm not sure about you, but I, I've never really been good at doing dishes. You know, it's just not been my thing, you know. And, uh, you know, because it's a lot. Anyway, so, so, we're, so when we're doing something tedious and repetitive, your mind can wander and not be absolutely present with what you're doing and then maybe you'll like, oh, miss a spot, you know, or something like that, or say something that you probably shouldn't have said to that person who you probably shouldn't have said that to, you know? And so um, 
the practice of meditation, whether it's the meditation of washing dishes, the meditation of cleaning your silver, or uh, anything, all of these different activities, as tedious as they can be, offer a window into just being rather than doing. So you can be right here, right now with just cleaning the silver. You can be present right here, right now. And being right here, right now, which is not exactly what I'm doing, I'm just doing this as a demonstration. You can try this at home, just without giving the Dharma talk at the same time. Rinpoche did say multitasking is an illusion and I wanted to test the theory and I think I'm finding out the answer. It's not 100%, but it's kind of a good idea. It's kind of interesting. So um, if we can get into our tedious tasks, washing the dishes and whatever, and stop thinking so much about that tedious task being tedious, Right? And just thinking like, here I am with the warm water and the dish soap. Here I am just me in this present moment, not thinking, am I doing a good job? Thinking, not thinking, what do other people think of my dishwashing? You know, you know not, not thinking about any of those extraneous things. Something beautiful can happen. I'm just saying, you know. Your mileage may vary. I guess the plastic inserts are pretty cool anyway. So while you're doing, uh, you know, anything, while you're walking through your everyday life, if you pay attention to your thinking, if you pay attention to your mind, you might, what did I write? I said, Thich Nhat Hanh said, washing dishes can be an act of presence or mindfulness. You can do several things. You can recall the past, and if you slow your mind down enough, you can see the potential that exists in every single moment. He wrote a book called Present Moment, Wonderful Moment, because when you take the chatter, gossip, conceptuality out of any moment, all you have is the purity of that moment. And the purity of that moment is actually all you ever have. That moment is all you ever have. Right now is all you ever have. And if we can recognize that, work with that, and be that, there's something really amazing that can happen. So if we are without worry, if we're without judgment, and if we're just here, cleaning the silver, being one with the cloth and the metal, being instead of doing, <laughs> that might be a little beyond me now, <laughs> just this minute, my being, you know, ah, I hear the doorbell. Um, Kempo Kartha Rinpoche uh, used the analogy of cleaning silver more than once in his teachings. Our um, Buddha nature uh, lies just below the surface of our thoughts. 
and if we can wipe away our veils and obscurations, our negative karma, our mental afflictions, our habitual tendencies, and even our basic ignorance, not even knowing we have Buddha nature, we kind of blunder along and we keep mistaking our self-concept. We keep mistaking our self-concept as being who we really are when it's really just a concept. It's just a concept, it's just an idea that we put together from all the thoughts that happen in our head and we give them a plot and we call that plot me, right? And then of course, interestingly enough, you may not know this, everybody else is doing the same thing. And, uh, and you know, and uh, I remember a cartoon, I talk about this sometimes, so pardon me if this is a repeat, but uh, I saw a one panel cartoon that was filled with faces and in the center, there's a single person who has a single thought balloon. And the thought balloon is saying, what if I'm not the main character? What if I'm not the main character? Yes. So our Buddha nature lies just beneath the surface of our thoughts. And if we can wipe away all these veils, our Buddha nature will shine through. Meditation can be tedious. Sitting quietly, watching the breath come in, watching the breath go out. It can be tedious, and some people even say it's boring. But if we stick with it, if we stick with it, we will actually begin to see small changes in how we experience the present moment. Maybe we'll experience the present moment with just a little less anxiety, maybe just a little less fear maybe a little more hope and possibility if we, can, if we can just slow down and be present. So uh, sometimes while we're meditating or doing anything for that matter, thoughts and distractions will arise. For example, I'm not sure if I ever properly thanked Kathy Lamo for giving me these bowls all those years ago. I, don't, I, I have a feeling I didn't really thank her the way I could have done, the way I should have done, coulda, shoulda, woulda. My friends in 12-step, you'll recognize that. Sometimes you'll, you'll think about the past, sometimes you'll think about the future when you're meditating, but if you just come back to the object of your meditation, just keep coming back again and again and again. Then those worries and fears and anxieties begin to lose their power over you. They no longer have the power they used to have to throw you off balance. But you kind of do have to stick with it because there's a lot to clean up, just saying. So in any case, all of these worries, fears, and concerns get resolved when we return to the object of meditation, the, the thing we are doing. And at first, meditation does just seem a, li a little tedious, but slowly we begin to see that our mind beneath all those thoughts is not such a bad thing. It's not, we're, not, we're not such bad people. Our minds are actually clear 
and quiet. Even if it's just for a moment, it's clear and it's quiet, which gives us an idea of what our potential might be, who we might be able to become if we um, give it some thought. Oh, this is so sweet. Lama Karma, I'm giving my Dharma talk right now. Hi, Lama Karma, I'm giving my Dharma talk right now. Can I call you back? Okay, that sounds good. I'll call you back. <laughs> Sometimes distractions happen. I am, um, uh, and but you have to keep coming back. I didn't plan that, but he really helped me out just now. <laughs> I and that's part of the reason I went ahead and took the call was because now his voice will be on the recording. <laughs> He's wonderful, by the way, Lama Karma. Um, our, his, uh, his uncle, Kempo Kartha Rinpoche, um, was our teacher. And he was very lucky to have spent so many years with Kempo Rinpoche as Kempo Rinpoche's personal attendant. And so I'm sure that he's kind of cleaned his, he's cleaned his share of silver. Anyway, let me say one more thing and then we can open things up for some discussion. The, um, I just love Buddhism's openness to change. The Buddha said all things are impermanent and because all things are impermanent, everything can change. And it's never too late, it's never too late. I have older people come to me and they say, I came to Dharma in my late age you know, I feel like my life has kind of passed me by. My opportunity to become a Buddha has passed me by. Is it too late? And I always say, never, never. Just like that bumper sticker that says, it's never too late to have a happy childhood. It's also never too late to, to do Dharma practice and to find your life improved by it. So, um, Kemper Rinpoche was very wise to use the example of cleaning silver because he said, no matter how bad it looks, once you see the glint of the beauty of the silver underneath the tarnish, he said, you get encouraged. And he said, that's why Dharma practice is messy sometimes. He said, um, my favorite analogy was not about silver. It was about a dirty cooking pot. He said a lot of people come to him and say, you know, now that I've been doing Dharma practice, my life is a little bit <clears throat> more exciting than before because a lot of my old patterns are coming up. My old negative habitual patterns are coming up and I don't like it. It's making me feel uncomfortable. I don't like it. And, um, and Rinpoche said, well, it's like that old cooking pot story. He said, you know, let's say you give a party and then a few months later you find a cooking pot in the pantry you forgot to wash. It stinks pretty bad and it's pretty ugly and you think, can this pot be saved? He said, you put it in the sink and you put the water in it and then the smell is worse. Plus you got all that gunk in the, you know, in the sink. It's, it's just disgusting, you know. And he said, so 
he said, um, so, but you have to keep cleaning. And he said, and then after a while, you'll see a glint of that beautiful pot, you know, iron or stainless steel or whatever you bought. And you go, okay, there's hope. And he said, that's what our life is like as Dharma practitioners. Sometimes our meditation practice allows our mind to soften, open, and be more vulnerable. And when we do that, stuff comes up. And at first, it's a little hard to handle. We're not sure we can handle it. Because after all, when some of these things came up for us in the past, we did things that we probably shouldn't have done to cope, you know? Big three, drugs, sex, rock and roll. But at some point, we can make a different decision. We can actually now do something with it. Let's say you learn Chenrezy mantra, right? Somebody said to me once, when I'm feeling really awful, can I just chant a mantra? And I'm like, yep. Because that mantra is your Buddha nature in a spoken form. You're resonating with your own Buddha nature when you recite a mantra or a prayer, or even if you just think of the presence of the Buddha and pray to the Buddha. This is a way of asserting and being present with your Buddha nature. And so in this way, the Dharma practice that you do in that way helps to clear away some of those negative methods of coping that come up and tempt you when uh, you're going through the hard times that are inevitable that come with human change. So anyway, um, how am I doing so far? Is this working out? Okay, it's working out? Okay, good. Because, you know, I wasn't sure. You know, I woke up this morning and I, had, I said, you know, I forgot to submit my, I knew it was gonna be about cleaning before Losar but I, didn't, I hadn't submitted my Dharma talk title as of like nine o'clock this morning. And I said, oh gosh, I better get with it. And then I saw the silver and I said, okay, I know what I'm doing. This is, this is what comes from uh, being a writer since the age of six and getting a journalism degree and being a newspaper reporter for 15 years. You know, when you don't have any story ideas and the boss wants some story ideas, you go out for a walk. And you look, walk around the city and you come up with amazing ideas, hopefully, that will impress the boss, at least keep you in your job. So I had this thought that I would talk about Kemper Impeche and his, and his habits of cleaning before Losar. And I thought I would talk about his teachings about our Buddha nature beneath everything that's happening in our brain and how all the practices, all of the practices of meditation, all of them, quiet sitting meditation, compassion meditation, mantra meditation, mahamudra meditation, all of these methods that are available in our Karmakaju tradition can help us wipe away the tarnish and the, and the obscurations, habitual tendencies, and even ignorance that cover our Buddha nature so that we can have a, a good result um, and possibly become an object of admiration you know, for other people in the future. So anyway, thank you for um, indulging this Dharma talk idea.
Um, and, I, and I can't wait to hear what you have to ask. Because uh, I, I will always remember from the bottom of my heart the first time I heard Kemper Rinpoche tell us that we all had Buddha nature in a talk given here in Columbus more than 40 years ago. The way he put it was like this. He said, if only you knew who you really were. If only you knew who you really were and what you were capable of. He said, you would be astounded and amazed. And I've, I've never forgotten that because just hearing that I had Buddha nature from another person, it's like when somebody says they love you for the first time, how shocking that is and how wonderful that is. Because sometimes we don't even think we're lovable until somebody from outside of us says, I love you. It was like Kemper Rinpoche told us that he loved us in a way by telling us that we had Buddha nature. And so as a result, as a result, I really started thinking about what does it mean to have Buddha nature? Is it a big responsibility? Am I up to it? <laughs> the answer is no. Yeah, no, yeah, no. Uh, but, uh, but here we are, cleaning our silver before Losar. And, uh, and my hope is that this little talk helps you to see you have Buddha nature and that it's worth the tedium of working to uncover your Buddha nature. It's worth it because you become a person that then becomes a source of strength for others. And um, your mileage may vary. It may take a while. I'm still working on it. I'm not there. Obviously, if I thought I could multitask while doing a Dharma talk, I was probably wrong. But since I had all the notes here, I thought I could do it. And uh, I'm doing it because Kemper Rinpoche was the greatest person I ever met. And I will, I will, I'm going to choke up now. I will never be equal to what he was, not even a tiny bit. We, we had a rare opportunity to see a real master. And I love telling stories about him. So anyway, Kathy Jackson told me a story this morning. She said that when she, uh, went to take refuge from Kempo Kartha Rinpoche. You know, it's customary in Tibetan Buddhism to bring a white scarf, which we call a kata, K-A-T-A. -A. It's not the martial arts usage, it's something different. Um, a white scarf to offer the teacher as a, as a gesture of thank you and, and goodness. It's like a way of offering your goodness to the teacher. And then the teacher puts it back around your neck to thank you, you know, for that. So she said she was so nervous and she had bought just any old white scarf from the department store downtown. <laughs> she, went to the, she went to Lazarus, you know, when it was still caught, before it was Macy's, it was Lazarus. She went down there and bought a, a white scarf and she, she said, you know, it wasn't even a Tibetan white scarf, it didn't look anything like that. And she, but she offered it with all her heart and he put it around her neck and said, always be generous. What a great lesson. Right? Always be generous. So here we are. There's time for, t there's time for questions. Um, discussion. Do you have something that you want to talk about? It doesn't have to be about cleaning. It can be about anything. We have a question microphone so that folks at home can hear you. Thank you, Tim.
He's on his way. By the way, thanks, Don. Uh, I, I, threw, I threw you a, a curve on this. I did forget, dude. I meant to tell you. Hey, hey Tim. Good morning. I'm going to do two questions today and not ten. <laughs> so uh, for, to clarify this cleaning uh, yeah. uh, timing, so we're supposed to be all finished with our cleaning before the 21st of February? Yes. Okay. Yes. Yeah, so the, I've got the cleaning nine. the cleaning should be finished before the twenty first. So it's kind of sparkly, you know. Okay, got it. Well, at first, I thought maybe I was supposed to be doing the cleaning on the twenty first. Oh, I gotcha. No, well, you okay. know, and I really appreciate you asking about that because um, usually what will happen the the sequence will be that they clean first, and then after they clean, they will put up an amazing shrine full of special offerings. Who was it? Brian, Brian was in here the other day and he said that he was actually gonna to try to make us, he's gonna to try to make us some kapse, the traditional large twisted donut-like cookies. He's gonna try and make us some for the, this would be our first year for that. So, and so then after you've got it all clean, then you make lots of pretty offerings for the shrine. I got you, okay. Uh, my other question uh, revolves around multitasking and I- sure. I've, I've certainly have discovered the joy of not multitasking. Yeah, I'm hearing that. Um, but I'm there, feeling it right this minute myself, yeah. Right. <laughs> but there's one situation that I can't quite uh, figure out how to deal with in a yeah. non-multitasking way, and that is making a fancy dinner. Oh, I You know, where you. you've got yeah. three or four yeah. different things that you're trying to yeah. get to be complete at the same time. And yeah. it just drives me crazy. I get and I, you. I really, I prefer the one pot meal, you know, where you can really focus on one thing. You know. So do you have any advice for uh, how to uh, <laughs> make that four dish dinner all come out in a nice, happy way? <laughs> uh, um, is, is, uh, okay, I love, first of all, I love this question. Okay, I just have to say, I love this question. Because uh, people don't know, I, I have been a terrible cook my entire life. I've just been awful my entire life, awful. And uh, oh, well, my husband, maybe, my husband maybe, was- oh, Maybe somebody else has a better answer. No, 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 no. <laughs> and, no, no, I, I, I tell you what, what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna give you a partial answer that will not answer your question fully, but will be interesting. How about that? So I'm not a good cook. And my husband was not a good cook either, but during the pandemic, we had to learn. So we learned how to cook. And so I do have a little bit of advice about that. Number one, mise en place, which means made in place or, you know, so you put all of your ingredients out in a line, boom, 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 boom. And then you figure out how long it will take to do that. Then you, then you mise en place the next dish, boom, 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 and then you figure out how long it'll take to do that and see where the crossover is. That's just me. And then, you know, yeah, so, and uh, hopefully that will help you get things done on time. That being said, I have not really ever been able to do that. <laughs> uh, um, Thanksgiving after Thanksgiving, it's a, it's a hassle. And so I'm with you, one pot meals, fantastic. Just a one dish, one pot meal, that's, that's the way to go because it is very hard to multitask. You can't really do it because as Rinpoche said, you can't really do more than one thing with your mind at the same time. We are just toggling between things so rapidly because our brain can move that fast, okay? We're toggling between objects so quickly that we have the illusion of being able to multitask. 
but it is just an illusion, like that neon sign that's made of arrows. It's not really moving. It just gives the appearance of movement. So that's why I think that, uh, I think it's a very good thing to, to realize, number one, multitasking is a myth. And number two, trying to find ways to get out from under the stress of everyday experiences. Like, just make a one-pot meal, right? Just, just make like a one-pot meal. And, and it's like, you can get all your stuff in there. You don't have to be fancy, right? Yeah, and, and by the way, you know, uh, while we're talking about memories, I have a fabulous memory of you. It is, um, uh, he was going to, you went to Bogaya, right? Yeah. And this was uh, during the time that we didn't have a building. And I said, will you go please and offer lamps at Bogaya, you know, in front of the, the you know, images at Bogaya, offer some lamps so that we can get, we can raise the money and have the building. So I wanna say, thank you. I have, I have a photo of, he had a photo of himself making those offerings. I say that again, please. You have the photo of, have the photo of me lighting the candle? Yes, oh, yes, good. I have that. So yeah, I got, I got, I got the pics. Pics or it didn't happen, yeah. Other things people might wanna talk about. Feel, yeah, do feel welcome. Do feel welcome, this is. Because we have a, you know, about 10 more minutes, yeah. Sorry, this is me a big change of topic. No worry, that's what um, I'm here. That's what I'm here for. My question is sort of about um, the three types of suffering sure. that we learn about. Oh, sure. So the first one, the suffering of suffering, is sort of easy to understand. Yeah. Mm -hmm. The second one, the suffering of impermanence. I think mm -hmm. I can also wrap my head around. The third yeah. one has always been a little tricky for me to yeah. wrap my head around. Yeah. Um, but I heard it described the other day when I was uh, listening to some talk online. And when I, I'm trying to think of a succinct way to put this, but um, I, I was in a grumpy mood this morning and I just couldn't shake it. And sometimes your mindfulness of that grumpiness yeah. uh, is great in some sense, but it doesn't always solve the yeah. problem. But when I walked into the shrine room today, Jelaine came up to me and asked me if I wanted to write down an aspiration and put it on the shrine. Mm -hmm. And she mentioned Turkey and Syria oh, and Ukraine. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that was like sort of a slap in the face of yeah. Yeah. Uh, dealing with like, you know, right. how silly this little grumpy mood that you're in when there's such suffering going on. Right. And I wonder if that's sort of uh, getting closer to that meaning of that third meaning of suffering where sure. here we are in this beautiful shrine room, we're able to yeah. hear the Dharma, it's a beautiful sunny day. The light is cascading in so beautifully. Right. Mm -hmm. But meanwhile, around the world, there's there's so much suffering going on. So I guess my question is, am I getting close to that third meaning of suffering in any way? And also, if you have any advice sure. in terms of practices we can do when we're um, mm -hmm. acknowledging that, that suffering that's going on around the world. It's a, this really is. Thank you so much for this question. It's an excellent question because there is a lot of suffering in the world right now. Let's We can all agree, right? and seeing the, uh, the, the devastating effects of the earthquake in Turkey and Syria and, uh, and how the people are suffering because they can't find their loved ones and all of the loss of life, the, the tens of thousands of people who perished in that. You're right, it does make our problems seem different, doesn't it? And, and you know, um, the, the three kinds of suffering, just to fill in for folks, um, there's, a, there's a contemplation that Buddhists do 
uh, which is called the four thoughts that turn the mind toward Dharma. And one of them is the preciousness of, the first one is the preciousness of our human life because we have all this potential to become Buddhas and to benefit others and so forth. So that's the first one. And we've met the Dharma, so we have a technique and a method for benefiting ourselves and others. Second one is impermanence. Even though we have a precious life, it, it isn't as long as it needs to be. So we, uh, we need to make use of our time wisely. Third, karma is real. And what we do a lot, we do a lot and that we are always making patterns with our thoughts, words, and actions. And then the fourth one is the defects of samsara, the defects of worldly life, and, you know, just living for uh, the worldly happiness. So I would say that that's really kind of the subtext of the, of the fourth thought, which is the, the defects of just living for our worldly pleasure and enjoyment, that there's defects in that. Uh, even a good day in samsara, you're still in samsara. It's, so it's kind of a, you know, it's, it's, it's a conundrum. So um, as part of this defects of samsara contemplation, we're asked to see our life and this world as being afflicted by three kinds of suffering that are with us always. There's the suffering of suffering itself. There's the suffering of change. There's the suffering that is part of the system, okay? And um, in a minute, I'll tell you about a song lyric I heard yesterday, if I can remember it properly. Um, yeah, I, I've even forgotten the name of the band, but they played it on the radio yesterday as I was driving in, and I'm like, oh, that's about the defects of samsara. Anyway, um, so uh, the suffering of suffering itself means like, I have a headache. Okay, that's an example, because it hurts. Suffering is painful. And then there's the suffering of change. Yesterday I didn't have a headache, today I do. Okay, and then the suffering that is pervasive, I'm gonna call it pervasive. Um, that's the suffering that I have a head that is wired with nerves that convey pain. So it's like made that way. Right? And so that's kind of, that pervasive suffering is the one you're talking about. And that's the one that is hard to see because we do have great days in samsara, let's face it, right? Because I mean, coming in and seeing the, the, the sun come in, and I mean, it's, it's, it's glorious, right? Uh, but the, the suffering uh, that is pervasive means that even a good day in samsara, you're still in samsara. And the song lyric was, when everything's made to be broken. And if you can name that band, uh, uh, anyway. I just need you to know who I am. That's the, that's the chorus. When everything's made to be broken. You know, and I just want you to know, you know, who I am. That's the, the song lyric. So when everything is made to be broken, that's the, that's the third type of suffering. Everything is composite, and so everything decays. <clears throat> everything in this world is impermanent and interdependent, and it's continuously changing, so suffering is part of the system, and it's inescapable. That's the third kind of suffering. I don't know, does that help at all? Maybe you have a follow-up, I don't know. Yeah, the, the second part of the question was just, um, do you have any advice in terms of 
our practice and sort of uh, yeah. acknowledging that suffering. I mean, obviously we can give money to Doctors Without Borders and things right. like that, but exactly. in sort of a practice sense, if there's anything you suggest. Yeah, no, I think that's lovely. I, I, I really do, I agree that we are living in a circumstance right now that is unprecedented in a world, you know, where there's so much suffering and so and so on. I do believe that we can be generous where we can be generous to help uh, relieve the suffering of other people. That's great. And in terms of our own inner thoughts and how we think about it, uh, I do think that there's a practice that's part of um, our Mahayana Lojong or mind training tradition. And it's, um, and it's uh, a form of rejoicing in your own um, good fortune and then dedicating your good fortune to other beings. So let's say someone has, you know, you've just had a wonderful experience, someone's given you a gift or whatever, and you're looking at that gift. As I looked at a gift yesterday that was given to me in this bag, um, and I thought, I'm going to offer this gift to the Buddhas and Bodhisattvas, because that's what Kempo Kartha Rinpoche taught me to do. He said, when you receive a gift, first, mentally offer it to the Buddhas and Bodhisattvas for the benefit of suffering beings, and then imagine that they give it back to you for, your, for you to use. I just think that's such a beautiful custom because it, it mindfully, it allows us to be mindful in the moment when we receive something so we're not carried away and intoxicated by the enjoyment of it and that we enjoy it in a way that is not making our craving for it more. It doesn't make us crave it more. Does that make sense? And so what you can do is when you are in a bad mood, you can think, may the bad mood that I'm experiencing right now uh, stand in for the suffering and bad mood of all beings. And may all of us be free of these kinds of bad moods and may we all become Buddhas in the future. And when you have something good happen, you can think, may, may we all enjoy happiness greater even than this, and may we all become Buddhas. So the idea is that everything that comes to us can be put to use. The good things that happen to us, we can rejoice and pray that everybody has happiness like this. May everyone feel the way I feel right now. And may we all become Buddhas, which is the ultimate happiness, which is happiness that is free from clinging. So that's kind of, that's how I work with the, the you know, sort of joys and sorrows of everyday life. It does take a little bit of practice to, to think of it. But, but the more you think of it, the more handy it becomes. If you do it once a day, well, okay, maybe you won't remember tomorrow. But if you do it two or three or four times a day, where you just feel this in immense gratitude and then, and then offer it to others. Um, that's kind of the way I'm thinking. I don't know, what do you think? Sounds good to me. Thank you. No, thank you, thank you. Oh my gosh, we've got time for one more. Is there one more out there? One more question? Well, then we'll sit and meditate. Um, I, I just thank you so much. Um, 
I thank you so much for, you know, for being part of this experimental Dharma talk. I have never done a Dharma talk like this before. I may never do it again. <laughs> but you've been incredibly generous and patient by being here. And thanks, uh, I, I don't see him here, but thanks to John for running and getting me a towel. Okay. Since meditation is a gift we give ourselves for the benefit of others, let's just sit for about two or three minutes, letting our mind come to rest. And, uh, and if you uh, would like to reflect, you can reflect on uh, your good fortune and how you aspire to benefit others. So you can either meditate or make aspirations. It's said that making aspirations in front of a consecrated image of the Buddha, which we have here, the aspirations are very powerful.
thank you for uh, joining us for that moment of meditation. Now we'll call together all the goodness that we accumulated today and uh, dedicate it to the benefit of sentient beings. We'll recite the dedication of merit at the end, uh, once in English, and uh, then I'll recite it in Tibetan. By this merit may all attain omniscience. May it defeat the enemy wrongdoing from the stormy waves of birth, old age, sickness, and death, from the ocean of samsara, may I free all beings. The courageous Manjushri, who knows everything as it is, Samantabhadra, who also knows in the same way, and all the bodhisattvas that I may follow in their path, I completely dedicate all this virtue. Now I'll recite it in Tibetan. Oho <laughs> Jam Thanks, everyone. Thank you. I hope you have a good week. Uh, enjoy cleaning your shrines. <laughs> Next Sunday will be the last Sunday before uh, Losar, so uh, we'll have another Dharma talk for you next week. Thank you again, and drive safely. Thank you, and thank you to the sound department. Thank you. Thank you for joining us for this week's Dharma talk. We hope you enjoyed the podcast. If you did, please subscribe, rate, and review it on iTunes. To learn more about the Columbus Karma Teksum Choling or to donate to support our Dharma Talk series, please visit our website at columbusktc.org. The opening and closing music for the podcast is Tibetan Flute Song by Tamding Arts at tamdingarts.com. Please join us again next week for another Dharma Talk.